0: Welcome to our Weird world. I'm your host John Henson and this week it is edition number nine of our Weird Fun Bag series. Uh, you know, look the I try to like at least come up with... Some fun names. I don't know. This one was a little bit more difficult, but uh, you know, at least you know by looking at the names of the people, you would never really know uh, what this episode would have been about. Obviously, you know, you look at the titles about gold scams and Freemasons, drunk pilots. Oh so, yeah, you know, whatever. What kind of nonsense are we getting into this week? Well, we're looking at the stories of Colin Howell, Thomas Fitzpatrick, and William Morgan. So let's just get into it. Start with William Morgan, who was born in Culpeper, Virginia, in 1774. Uh, he grew up working as a bricklayer and a stone cutter, and eventually uh, saved up enough money to open his own store in Richmond. Uh, He claimed that he served as a captain during the War of 1812, but uh, there aren't any military records to actually verify that. So we don't really know if that's true or not. Uh, In 1821, uh, the 47-year-old Morgan moved his 21-year-old wife and their two kids to Canada uh, to the town of York, which would later become known as Toronto where he opened a brewery and then joined the Freemasons and allegedly achieved the rank of Master Mason. Uh, now, if you know anything about the Freemasons, you know that they are a secret society. Uh, they were uh, founded... Like, their name is literally kind of like what their origins are. Like, they, the Masons were this organization built from, like, stonecutters, you know, masonry and stonework and stuff like that. And so, obviously... William Morgan who worked as a bricklayer and a stone cutter would obviously join the freemasons. Now, the reason that because I guess because the freemasons have kind of built this secret society, people have run with this idea that the freemasons are synonymous with like the mm-hmm. illuminati and they rule the world and there's just like some crazy rituals and cult practices going. It's probably not true, right? Like it's just dudes who get together. Cause here's the thing, here's the thing that a lot of people forget about guys. All right. The world and and you know capitalism and the market would like you to believe that, you know, guys are just about getting work done. And they like to use their hands and they like to build stuff and trucks and stuff like that. And then it's girls who have like the really active imaginations. They play pretend and they play with their dolls and they come, you know, they build these fantasy worlds together. And that's like, I mean, look, girls do that, but like guys have really active imaginations too. You know why? Fantasy football, like (laughs) the whole concept of fantasy football is so that a guy can pretend to be in charge of a football team. A guy is pretending to be in charge of a football team using real players and how they perform in real life. And there's so many other things. Like you want to, you ask a guy, like, you know, you see a guy who's just kind of sitting there quietly just thinking. And, girls, you do it all the time. Babe, what you thinking about? And what does he say every single time? Nothing. And, look, here's the thing. You know it. He knows it. That's not the real answer. But you don't want to know what the real answer is. Because the fact of the matter is is he is probably just In this massive fantasy world that he has created for himself. In fact, more often than not, he is probably in his mind just giving a press conference, a fake press conference about why his fantasy football team underperformed last weekend. That's all it is. All right. Guys have very active imaginations, but... I think because a lot of it has been seen as a feminine characteristic, you know, playing pretend and imaginary stuff guys just like, don't, uh, they don't, they don't express that. They keep that inside. And and they also realize like how silly it is to be that far removed from reality. So like, yeah, they're going to be like nothing. What are you thinking about? Nothing. Don't worry about it. (laughs) <laughs> and then they'll just go right back to it. But all of that is to say that uh, William Morgan he joined the Freemasons. That was a really long tangent, by the way. Uh, but it'll it'll come up here later. Um, he moved to Toronto opened a brewery, but then the brewery was eventually destroyed by a fire. So Morgan moved back to the United States to the town of Batavia, New York, where he returned to work as a bricklayer and a stonecutter. He actually tried to establish a Masonic Lodge in Batavia, but was denied by uh, fellow members from other nearby lodges in in other towns. Um, Also, his reputation had really taken a hit. Uh, there were claims that he was a chronic gambler and an alcoholic, and many Masons actually wondered if he had truly achieved the high rankings in the Freemasons that he actually claimed. So when his request to open a lodge in Batavia was denied, he threatened to publish a book titled Illustrations of Masonry, which promised to expose all of the Mason's secrets in great detail. And like... It's like the Freemasons are like fight club. Like the first rule of fight of the Freemasons is you don't talk about what goes on in the Freemasons. And William Morgan was just like, Oh, okay. You're not going to let me open my own lodge. Then I'm gonna publish a book telling people all about the secrets that we have. And, Mason even found a local publisher, David Cade Miller, to actually publish the book. Uh, He was also given a huge advance to do the work and was promised 25% of the profits that the book made. In response, when the Masons found out, they published an advertisement denouncing William Morgan for breaking the biblical vow he had made to uphold the Masons' secrets. Uh, Miller's publishing office was also set on fire, uh, just in case the two, you know, he and Morgan had made it that far in actually starting to produce the book. Uh, Miller eventually bailed Morgan out of jail for a theft charge, but Morgan was quickly rearrested after allegedly failing to pay a $2 and 69 cent bar tap, which sounds cheap, but like, this is the 18 twenties we're talking about. So like, that's probably pretty, pretty, pretty hefty. For a bar tab. Uh, A group of Masons then quickly convinced Morgan's wife to secure his release from jail again. And then once he was out, the Masons came and took him away in a carriage uh, to go to Fort Niagara. And at that point, Morgan was never seen again. Uh, Some people came to believe that Morgan was tossed into the Niagara River to drown, while others believe that the Masons had actually just paid Morgan off to disappear in order to stop the publication of the book. Uh, Regardless, Morgan's decomposed body washed up on the shores of Lake, Lake Ontario in 1827, or at least that's what that's like the the official quote unquote record shows, uh, a Canadian woman also identified this body as her late husband who had also disappeared around the same time. But, um, I don't know if just like the American side just refused to turn the body over. They had already kind of come to their conclusions or whatever, because, uh, the body ended up, uh, being buried as if it truly was William Morgan. Um, Eli Bruce a Freemason and the sheriff of Niagara County was tried for Morgan's disappearance and ended up serving 28 months in prison for conspiracy. And despite all of that, Morgan's book ended up being published anyway. And even worse, uh, the book sold better than anyone ever expected it to because Morgan's disappearance had garnered a large amount of media attention. So now word had gotten out that this dude was publishing all the Freemason secrets and, you know, people were really, really interested now when they otherwise like would have probably never known about it. Uh, many people, including publisher, David Cade Miller held to the idea that Morgan had actually just been paid to disappear and that he hadn't actually been murdered. But like I said, the body that had washed up on Lake Ontario was treated and buried as if it really were William Morgan. Um, several masons, actually claimed that Morgan had assumed a new identity either in Canada or the Cayman Islands where he was eventually hanged for being a pirate. Uh, The entire ordeal actually kind of started a a national negative view towards the Freemasons uh, and almost this actually might be where a lot of these conspiracies and everything started. I mean, like a lot of the information from Morgan's book is just, you can find it online. Like there wasn't anything super juicy. Like they just, they, they have the rankings. They do some silly meetings and some silly rituals. Like, and I, I use the term rituals very loosely. It's just like, it's not a big deal, but, um, the, even uh, this event actually became a focal point during Andrew Jackson's presidential campaign in 1828, where his opponent, like, I, I guess Jackson was a Freemason himself, uh, was trying to, like, use that as a negative against him. Jackson won anyway, so it doesn't matter, but... Um, Fun fact, after this story, Morgan's wife, Lucinda, ended up marrying a silversmith named George W. Harris in 1830, and then the two moved out west to become Mormons. Uh, some historians actually believe that William Morgan's uh, wife, was one of Joseph Smith's wives as well, though she continued to live with Harris. Uh, when Joseph Smith was murdered in 1844, Lucinda was, quote, sealed to him for eternity, whatever that means. Uh, however, she was excommunicated from the Mormon church after ceasing to practice the Mormon faith. Uh, her second husband, Harris, died a short time later, and then Lucinda moved to Memphis where she joined the Catholic Sisters of Charity. So just uh, kind of wrap it up uh, that story. And we will move on to our second story here of Thomas Fitzpatrick, uh, which began on September 30th, 1956, just after midnight, when Thomas was enjoying a drink or like seven or eight at one of Manhattan's many bars. Uh, By this point, Fitzpatrick was relatively plastered and like was at that point. In the drunken cycle where he was just openly conversing with anyone who was talking, regardless of whether or not that person was actually talking with him. Uh, And so when one bar patron scoffed at Fitzpatrick's notion that it would only take 15 minutes to fly to Manhattan from New Jersey, Fitzpatrick, who was a licensed pilot, decided to prove him wrong. Uh, He stormed out of the bar, got in his car because this was back when you could completely drive drunk. And then drove out to the Teterboro School of Aeronautics in New Jersey. Again, like, even though he was nowhere suitable uh, to drive. Um, He then stole an airplane (laughs) from this flight school and flew it without lights or radio back to Manhattan. Because this is in the middle of the night. And he landed it outside the front door of the bar on St. Nicholas Avenue just before last call. And... As you might expect when a plane lands in the middle of a very crowded city, police quickly asked to have a word with Fitzpatrick as to why he would do that. Um, On one hand, police were amazed that the drunken Fitzpatrick hadn't hit any of the skyscrapers or people uh, or cars on his way down, noting that the landing had a hundred thousand to one odds of success. Uh, On the other hand, they were having a hard time believing that Fitzpatrick had simply borrowed a plane and then had engine trouble, forcing him to land on the street, uh, probably because he was like, no, 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 like, I borrowed this plane, as a some engine trouble has some engine trouble and I landed on the street and everything's okay like you, that's not the sound of a person who's probably telling the truth uh the plane's owner who was likely more impressed with the stunt than upset that his plane had actually been stolen de- actually declined to press charges so fitzpatrick was handed a $100 fine basically for having gigantic drunken balls to do something like this and then he was let go uh 2 years later though Fitzpatrick was drinking in another bar when another random patron challenged him um, with the same sort of thing. And, you know, Fitzpatrick had been bragging about the whole stealing an airplane and landing it in the street bit that he had done two years before, which on paper, I clearly sounds ridiculous and impossible to do. Uh, and Fitzpatrick, though, you know, people did not believe him. And Fitzpatrick, insisting it was true, offered to do it again. All of the drunk people in the bar egged him on, and so he did it. He drove back out to the same field at Teterboro, stole another plane. Also, like, how easy is it to steal planes? I don't know. Do planes require keys to start, or is it just a button? I don't know. Um, (laughs) And, but he did it again. He stole another plane and landed it on 187th street in front of the bar where the challenge had taken place. Uh, This time police were less impressed with the stunt and hauled him off to the nearest precinct where he was sentenced to six months in prison. But either way to do all of that successfully, you know, like, I don't know if you've been to New York, not exactly the widest streets, so the, to, to land an airplane, it was probably like a, a single seater, like biplane or whatever, like probably nothing super big. But still that it still takes some skill to maneuver that in between the buildings and land it, especially when you're drunk, like super, super drunk. Uh, but cool story either way. Our last story here. Begins on May 19th, 1921, when Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan were found dead inside a fume filled car in Castle Rock, Northern Ireland, in what appeared to be a suicide pact between the two. Um, After Leslie's death, her widowed husband, Colin Howell, received a 400,000 pound life insurance payout. And then Colin went on to marry a woman from New York named Kyle Jorgensen and had five more kids, bringing his total to nine. And yes, the woman name was Kyle. Uh, probably, maybe it's Kylie. Uh, seems like it's a foreign name, but it, it's K-Y-L-E. It's Kyle. Um, over time, though, Colin Howell decided to invest the insurance money, but rather than put the money into stocks or other investment, um, Howell, who was a successful dentist in his own right, decided to invest it in what he thought was a completely foolproof, get-rich-quick scheme. So the the idea was that during World War II, Japanese General Tamayuki Yamashita allegedly buried a stash of gold and precious gems on an island in New Guinea. However, Yamashita was executed for war crimes before he could return to the island to retrieve his treasure. And so the resulting legend legend of Yamashita's gold became a staple scam for people in the Philippines looking to make money off of, you know, really wealthy, adventure-hungry tourists. So... In 2008, Colin Howell found out about Yamashita's treasure and invested roughly $500,000 into an expedition to find it and hired several Filipino quote-unquote explorers to go find it. Uh, Unbeknownst to Colin, the men he hired were purposely bad at treasure hunting and told him that the treasure was buried in a series of booby-trapped tunnels. So now... Like it's just turning into an Indiana Jones plot. Um, after being thwarted by poison gas and bombs, these Filipinos told Colin that the treasure was impossible to retrieve and that he should just give up on it. Just count count your losses. Thanks for you know the money, uh, but you, it, you're not going to get this treasure. Instead, Colin flew to Manila to retrieve the treasure himself, where he was instead handed a small box with about $35 worth of money inside. Um, Howell, at this point, who was deeply religious and also incredibly stupid, um, began to believe that the scam he'd fallen prey to was actually just a punishment from God. He also believed... That his son's death in a car accident a year before was also punishment from God, but he could not figure out what he was being punished for. So remember at the beginning of the story, all right? I check off guns you in this. Remember his wife's death. Well, guess what? Even though it was initially believed to be a suicide pact with her and the person she was having an affair with. It wasn't that at all. Oh my gosh, what a twist. Uh, Instead, here's here's the thing. Colin Howell had actually been conspiring with Trevor Buchanan's wife, Hazel, to murder both Leslie and Trevor so that those two could stop sneaking around with their own affair and live life with a clean conscience. And it only took some you know, 20 years and losing $500,000 on a Filipino gold scam that Colin became so guilt stricken that he went to police to confess uh, the plot and the way that he had killed uh, his ex-wife, which is crazy because like he and Hazel didn't even end up together. Like Colin ended up moving to, you know, to the States and married someone different. Um, and had a whole other family with him. So it's just so stupid. Um, he and Hazel were both given life sentences for the murders. And then in 2011, Howell confessed to sexually assaulting nine of his female dental patients over a period of several years. Which, like, what, like, what are you doing? What a doofus. Like, all, it took all of like getting scammed for half a million dollars by some Filipinos to finally just break this guy into confessing that he had actually killed his wife. And then also, I mean, since he was in prison, he was just like, yeah, I also did this stuff too. And God, what a, what a dork. That's it. Weird fun bag number nine in the books. And yeah, just, you know, again, another just collection of random weird stories. And, you know, each one, I think, kind of just had their own little unique quirks to it. So let's recap and see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, William Morgan uh, was a Freemason and then didn't get his way and decided he was going to expose all of the Freemasons deepest, darkest secrets, which weren't that deep or dark to begin with. And then now there is controversy and conspiracy. Was he paid to disappear to prevent publication of the book? If so, that didn't work because the book got published anyway. Uh, Others believe that the Freemasons had him killed And um, in an attempt to prevent the book from being published, but again, didn't work. Uh, Number two, Thomas Fitzpatrick, not once, but twice drunkenly stole a plane and then landed it in the middle of Manhattan off of basically a dare. And then number three, Colin Howell (laughs) killed his wife and his mistress's husband so that they could have their own affair together, guilt-free took a 400,000 pound life insurance payout and then turned that into an investment into a $500,000 fake gold scam in the Philippines. And when that didn't work out, he finally confessed and also confessed to assaulting some of his dental patients. (laughs) Next week on Our Weird World, we are talking about some celebrities, some weird stories from celebrities. And like when I say celebrities, that's probably not the right terminology, Uh, because like if we're talking like ABC list, we're talking like our list like we're way down the list really it's more about show business and some weird stories from the world of show business and movies and music uh three stories uh they're not they're not funny they're kind of sad but uh there are some of them are kind of interesting i guess Uh, but we are looking at the stories of dominic Elwis graham parsons and joseph barcy uh and just uh you know probably some things that you've heard of some works that you've heard of um but then didn't realize that there were these crazy backstories going on behind the scenes with them so we're going to look at those next week but until then thank you all for continuing to listen keep telling all your friends and keep it weird I'm meeting my buddies out on the lake. We're headed out to a special place we love that just a few folks know. There's no signing up, no monthly dues. Just take your Johnson, your Mercury, or your Evinrude and fire it up. Meet us out at Party Cove. Bermuda's flip-flops and a tank top tan. He popped his first top at 10 a.m., that's Bob. He's our president. We're checking out the girls on the upper deck, rubbing in the 15 SPF. It's hot. Everybody's jumping in. Later on, when the sun goes down, we'll pull out the jar and that old guitar and pass them around. Bass trackers, bay liners, and a party barge strung together like a floatin' trailer park, anchored out and getting loud all summer long. Side by side, there's five houseboat front porches, astroturf, lawn chairs, and tiki torches. Ugh. Regular Joes rockin' the boat, that's us, the Redneck Yacht Club.